Hey, good morning, Rimrock. We're super excited to be with you guys on this beautiful, sunny day. It's great. Great to see all your guys' faces. We're excited to just worship the King, so we're going to jump into that. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? For our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Judah is roaring with power. 
was lost, but he brought me in, oh, his love for me, oh, his love for me, oh, the sun. be seated. Good morning. Sun is shining up here. <laughs> Praise God for that. Well, it's so good to, to be together. Um, you know, every once in a while, you, you just have those uh, incredible moments of, of clarity. And I, I had one of those moments last Friday as I was sitting in this room. Uh, we were at the celebration of life for Mary Dosher. She was uh, one of the original uh, members of this church. She helped uh, start this church, and, and she lived to be almost 106 years old, but, but 
what struck me is, as her daughter was kind of telling the story of her life is, is Mary uh, epitomized our vision as a church to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And as she talked about her life, uh, a life filled with so many difficult things, incredible um, hardships, but also victories and joys, but the, the, the aroma of her life was Jesus Christ. And Jesus really transforms people. He really makes us into new creations. He really makes us into children of God. And that's, uh, that is what we're all about as a church, to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And I know he's doing that in your lives, and he's doing that in my life as well. Well, I, I don't know if you came in and there was a good aroma of food in this place. It's because uh, there's a team downstairs uh, cooking up some breakfast. I think there's pancakes and sausage and stuff. And it's a fundraiser for Ikalaka. So every year as a church, we've uh, for I don't know how many years, maybe 20 plus years, I don't know how many years, but we've been sending parents and kids to this camp in the spring, and uh, it's a wonderful time, so uh, please stay for some food and fellowship uh, today, and uh, uh, we would really appreciate that. Um, Boomer, Pastor Boomer is preaching this morning, and this is family worship this morning, so I'm really happy that you kids are here with us to worship Jesus. Um, and they, there's a special sheet just for you, and I believe Miss Angie said she has, uh, what, she has something for you, but maybe a hug or something, oh, and maybe something more. So after the service, kids, if you, uh, if you hear something that, uh, that you want to share with Miss Angie, she'll have something for you. So look for her after the service. And you can find these sheets in the back. So, so kids, if you didn't get one, you just walk back there, and there's a, there's a table with some of these sheets on it. Um, I just want to give a, a quick update. Uh, this past Thursday, uh, some of you are aware that as a church, we're um, expanding our, our building downtown. Uh, we are um, outgrown our current location, and we believe God has a, a vision for our church uh, to be one church, two campuses, and, and a, a building where we can not only meet as a church downtown, but also have ministry to the community. And so uh, we last Thursday had a, a meeting with a building team. Our bylaws say we have to have a, a building team to oversee the project. And then we also met with a fundraising team and just uh, be praying with us as, as we go into April. We'll be um, beginning a fundraising campaign to begin to ask God, what, what can this space look like? What, what does God want us to do with this space so we can uh, reach our community and continue to uh, lift up the name of Jesus and be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. So I just invite you to continue to pray for us in that process. I want to read out of Psalm 19 as we continue to worship this morning. Um, as we go through Revelation, uh, we're reminded that God is creator, and he is not only created, but he is creating. He's making all things new. And I want to read these words from Psalm 119. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the world. Their words to the ends of the world. In Romans, Paul says, men have no excuse because God has spoken through his creation. But he not only spoke through creation, because he goes on to say in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. That's why we're here this morning, to hear God's perfect word. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. 
The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm in all of them. That's why as a church, we don't just go through some verses. We go through whole books of the Bible because all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, more than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern our own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May these words of my mouth and his meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Would you guys pray with me this morning? God, thank you for this day. Thanks for the sunshine. Thanks for these people and your church, God, that you've redeemed by your blood, that you've saved by your mighty hand, by your sacrifice, by your love. God, we're here for you this morning. Would you just still our minds, ready our hearts uh, as we sing, but also as we hear uh, from your word, God, that you would just open up our hearts and get us ready for what you have. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for your faithfulness. of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine and not I, but through Christ. dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, my Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, His power is displayed. To this I Shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley. He will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall. I 
values will I live? Those questions are really the basis, I think, for this whole book. Those are the choices that we have to make. We're in the book of Revelation. We've been here for several weeks, and this morning we're in Revelation chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got uh, some other way to pull up God's Word, go ahead and um, open to Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to be spending some time um, in this chapter this morning. But I want you to begin to consider, uh, I can make assumptions because of the building that I'm in. And I can make assumptions because I have some relationship with some of you. But it's a dangerous thing to make assumptions that everyone in this room or everyone listening online has surrendered to Jesus. And so the choice that we see all through the book of Revelation is so very, very clear that there are two choices. And we have to wrestle with the choices. We're going to start this morning in Revelation chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Let me read just the first five verses, and we're just going to kind of do this Uh, section by section in this chapter this morning. And so follow along with me. I'm using the New International Version this morning. And then I looked up, uh, John says, and then I looked and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. And the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths, and they are blameless. So I don't mind admitting to you that this is a tough chapter. So as excited as I was a few weeks ago to preach on Revelation chapter 5, the throne and the coming of the Lamb, like I was really geeked about that one. Um, It all evens out, right? Because chapter 14 is tough. I've really enjoyed uh, spending time in a a book called Discipleship on the Edge by uh, Daryl Johnson. And um, it's been a very, uh, very good journey to learn um, not only from that resource, but also from our preaching team. And, and, um, and so this morning, as we uh, kind of work our way through uh, chapter 14, just understand that I've been wrestling with this for two or three weeks, and I, I still don't feel extremely comfortable with what we're going to talk about. But, um, but I think it's clear. I think when we boil it down, it's clear, and hopefully that's what's clear at the end. Let's start in verse 1. 
John says, I looked and I saw standing with the Lamb 144,000 who had the name of the Lamb and his Father written on their foreheads. And I have to ask myself the question really as I go all the way through the book of Revelation, like are we talking about literally or not? And I, I recognize that different people read uh, Revelation differently. Um, I choose to read this as um, uh, there's a lot of symbolism, there's a lot of picture language that helps us to understand the meaning um, behind the symbols. And so I would not say that literally um, we have the name of Jesus and the Father on our foreheads because I think other places in Scripture, when we see that, um, the, that someone has taken the name, we see this earlier in the book of Revelation as well, uh, when, the, when the redeemed are sealed, right? The followers of the Lamb, they're sealed. They have their, their the, the, it's the name that's written on their forehead. And in the Bible, that often is talking about um, uh, that the character of the person that we take their name, the character becomes evident in their life. That's kind of the, uh, the significance of the forehead is it is right there. You can't hide what's right there on your forehead, right? And so we take that, the, these who are followers of the Lamb, those who have been uh, redeemed, they have God's character, the character of the Lamb. His personality is up front, and people see it right away. And also when people take the name or when we put our name on something, we are claiming it. And so here we have the lamb and the father saying, these are mine. They belong to me. And in this opening section, as we continue through the, um, these verses in, in verses 3 and 4 and 5, um, I believe that John is, begins to describe these followers of the Lamb. He's, he's highlighting some of the marks or some of the characteristics that the followers of the Lamb have. And I want to just walk through those. I've got, I've got seven of them. Can you guys write that fast? Yeah? All right. So I've got seven of them this morning, but it starts right here. It starts right here where it says that they sang a new song in verse 3. They sang a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and before the elders, really before all, listen now, before all of creation, that's what was represented with those, the four living creatures right there, there at the throne. They, they represent all of creation and the elders is all of uh, the redeemed. And here the believers, the, the, the followers of the lamb are singing a new song. They're worshiping the lamb. They're worshiping the lamb. They recognize that the lamb is worthy of their worship and the worship becomes a testimony um, in front of everyone. So first they worship the lamb. The second kind of characteristic of these uh, lamb followers is that they know that they belong to lamb. Do you notice twice in this section that John mentions that they're purchased or they're redeemed, right? They're they're. The captives have been ransomed. The, their purchase, uh, the price for their release has been paid. I, I love the songs that um, Blake and Zoe chose for this morning. 
because we're singing the gospel. We're singing the gospel. We've been redeemed. We've been uh, purchased. We've been ransomed. We've been set free. Revelation chapter nine, uh, chapter five, verse nine, and we see this, right? And they, meaning the 24 elders and the four living creatures, sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus did that. He purchased us. He he paid our ransom to set us free from the slavery of sin that we were chained to. Paul talks about it as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. One of the marks of lamb followers is that they recognize that they have been purchased, that they are not their own. They recognize that they're not their own. And so followers of the lamb don't compartmentalize their life. They don't say, this is mine and this is God. This part's mine and this part's God. Followers of the lamb say, this is God's and this is God's and this is God's. And this is God's because I have been bought. I belong to the lamb. I belong to the lamb. Number three, they remember that they're engaged to the lamb. Now you look at those verses and you say, I'm sorry, where does it say that? Well, it's in this really tough verse right here in verse four. Look at it. Verse four says, These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. Like, that's a really hard verse, and we read it, and if we don't really get the context, but listen, as we look all through Scripture, we see God continuing to use um, the marriage covenant as a picture of our relationship with God. And when he's talking about um, adultery, Right? He uses that kind of marriage language for, um, for unfaithfulness spiritually to God. He uses that language all through the Old Testament as Israel would wander away while they would um, worship other gods, while they would give their allegiance and their devotion to other things. And, and God would use that language, you are my bride. And as we get into the home stretch, that's exactly what it is. The church is the bride of Christ and the followers of the Lamb recognize that they are spoken for. They are His. They are engaged to the Lamb. Number four, kind of characteristic of Lamb followers is that they give their lives to the Lamb. Not just that they belong to the Lamb, but they recognize that their lives are forfeit to the Lamb. Look at the verse, look at the, the words that it says, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And they purchased, they were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. Their lives literally belong 
to God. And so they could be offered as sacrifices. They, can, um, they, they turn over everything. In the Bible, when, um, when it talks about first fruits, that was a, that was a part of the, uh, um, the, an act of worship that said, the very first that I pull out of my, uh, the very first of the harvest that comes out of the trees or the, uh, out of, the, uh, out of the, the fields, those are the first things that I bring and I give as an offering. And the significance is that when I give the very first, then I'm I'm recognizing and I'm saying all that that comes behind it, everything that comes along behind it also belongs to you. So it's an act of worship, but it's also an act of trust, saying I'm going to give this and I'm trusting God will do more with the, the rest than I could do with the whole. And the people of God, the people, the followers of the Lamb, they recognize their lives are given to God and he can do whatever he wants with it because they trust him, because they worship him, because they obey him. It brings to mind what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's what? In view of God's mercy, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of worship. It's because we know the character of God, because we know the history of God, because we know what God has done for us that we then can turn and give everything to him and say, God, I trust you. Look at what you've done to purchase me. Everything is yours. Everything is yours. I'm holding nothing back. Number five, they were followers. They followed where the lamb leads. They're in step. They go where the king leads. They walk in his first steps. As Ange was, um, my wife was reading uh, my notes and, you know, correcting my grammar, which is awesome. But as she's reading notes, this, she reads this number five and it brings to mind for her. Uh, she said, when I was uh, a little girl, one of the games that I liked to play was to follow in my dad's footsteps and try to match his steps, right? I'm thinking about that with all the snow that we got, right? And as a, you walk across and, you know, our legs are longer than little kids, right? Oh, kids, have you ever played that game? You see footsteps in the snow and, and you try to get there, right? Right? But that's the picture for me that comes to mind here. That as followers of the Lamb, we're walking in those footsteps. We are right on his heels. Wherever he goes, I'm going to go. And it leads to a life that says, um, I am here because the Lamb led me here. I'm not charting my own course. I'm not setting my own agenda. Where the Lamb goes, that's where I go. Some of you guys know the story. I won't tell the whole thing today. Actually, I'm not going to tell any of it. Some of you guys know, though, that the story of us coming to Rimrock is filled with this, right? 
We had a whole list of reasons not to come here, but it was very, very clear that this is where God wanted us. And so we walked in those footsteps saying, I'm yours. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Number six, followers of the Lamb, they do not lie. They don't hedge the truth to fit into culture. There's no dishonesty in them. And I want to I, I ask this question now. I want to ask this question. Was it always that way? For these, for us, was it always that way for the redeemed? No. It wasn't always that way. Paul talks about this, right, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So were they always people with no untruth in their mouth? No. But they were purchased by the lamb. And when they follow the lamb, they want to look like the lamb. And there is no dishonesty in God. So we live our lives and we ask the Holy Spirit to continue to do the work to make us look like the lamb. And there was no lie in their mouths. And I think that the, the hedging the truth to fit in with the culture is really, really critical as we're looking at this, this, these last chapters because that is the tension. Believers are being crushed between these two kingdoms. And there's moments when we say, we are sold out to the lamb. And there are moments when it's like, oh, life is hard. If I just fudge the truth a little bit, then I can... Fill in the blank. I can avoid some persecution. I can I can get uh, uh, I can get the bid accepted on my job. I can I can get the promotion. I can whatever. And that's the tension. And I think it's why over and over and over again we're you know, we're going to talk about that. Hold on, hold on. Boom! Don't get ahead. Number seven. I do that a lot. I preach the. You know, I teach the points that are coming and then I have nothing to say when I get there. Number seven, characteristics of the lamb followers. They are blameless. What does that mean? Does that mean perfect? No, that's not what blameless means. It does mean that they've been covered by the blood of the lamb. One commentator said it this way, a blameless person confesses their sins relying on the blood of the lamb so that no one can blame them anymore. It doesn't mean perfect, but it means that we have an integrity in us that says I am sinful and I need the lamb. And so I go and I'm honest with the lamb and say, I need you, take this. I need you, take this away. Jesus, I rest in what you've already done for me. Such a beautiful, beautiful aspect to the gospel that Jesus has done all the work. 
and what's left is for me to live my life in response to what he's done. When we get to this next section, we're going to read um, 6 through 11 together. And I want to point out three things in this section, and we'll talk a little bit about it. Read with me in chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. And a second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. And a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on their hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. And there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image. Or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Would it be surprising to say that I think what the three angels bring is actually good news? <laughs> Would you scratch your head too? Huh? None of that sounded very good. But that's the way that John introduces it, right? That he sees this angel and the angel has the eternal gospel, right? The, the word gospel, we know, is good news. So how is the pronouncement from these angels good news? Well, I want to point out a couple of things for you to consider, all right? All through Revelation, we are seeing God's mercy and his patience as he calls people to repent. His wrath is coming. His judgment is coming. Evil will be destroyed, and those who are aligned with evil will be caught up in that destruction. And so God continues calling and pleading to his creation to turn away from that and turn back to him. And that really is what we're seeing in these messages from the angels as the angels go through the whole earth, through the whole world, speaking to all people, right? Every tribe, every nation, every language, right? It's everyone is hearing this call. That first angel, it's good news. Here's the good news. It is not too late. For the people that could hear the message of this angel, it was not too late. That is good news because what's coming is not. And yet the good news is it is not too late. This angel is calling to everyone, repent. Paul says it, um, well, he's, the angel is saying, look, look at how God has revealed himself already. Look at what the angel says, right? He says, um, fear God, give him glory. That phrase, give him glory, is really repent, right? 
fear God, repent, give Him glory, because judgment is coming and it is close. Look now, worship Him who has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. And what that brings to mind for me is... Um, is Romans chapter 1, where Paul says, look, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the, all of the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. This first angel is saying, you, you have enough to turn to God. You see enough to turn your face. You have enough to repent. And it's good news that they still have time. But it also serves as a warning. Do not delay. Time is short. Now, as we go through the book of Revelation, time is all over the place. You can't just read it linearly. I don't choose to read it linearly. And so, it, I mean, as we go from section to section, chapter to chapter, and it, the time just, it's, it's all over the place. But I'm telling you that today, sitting right where you are today, today, you still have time. Today, like in this moment, you still have time. I have no idea what's coming in 30 seconds. I have no idea what's coming in 10 minutes. I have no idea what's coming this afternoon or tomorrow or next week or next year. How would I know? But today, the good news is that you still have time, but don't delay. And that's good news for followers of the Lamb, because the time's short. And that's good news for us. The second angel brings the announcement saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made... The nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. We're exploring what Babylon is, and we've seen that kind of in Scripture. We've heard some about that in our series as well. But by the first century, Babylon was kind of code word, a code language for any society that was set up apart from or against God. We see it originally way back in the book of Genesis, right? And the command... As, Mo, as uh, Noah gets off the, the ark is fill the earth, right? Be fruitful, fill the earth, spread out, and yet just write, I mean, the next chapter. People grouped up. And they had this great idea because we come up with some great ideas, don't we? I've got a great idea. Let's build a tower and let's build a name for ourselves. Let's do something apart from God. We'll do our own thing. And ever since then, cultures and societies who set themselves up apart from God could be referred to as Babylon. We see it over and over again, literally, 
literally the kingdom of Babylon, in Assyria, in Egypt, in Greece, in Rome, over and over and over and over. Kingdoms that set themselves up apart from God. And the good news from the second angel is that that world system has fallen. Babylon is fallen. Now, does that mean that when John is writing it, that Babylon has fallen? No, I don't think so. I think it means that the end has already been decided. The end has already been decided. The future of the world system is already set to fail. Victory has already been secured. And it's a warning to the people of the world, don't invest in what will not last. Babylon is guaranteed to fail. And this is really good news for redeemed, for the redeemed, right? This, it means that justice is finally going to be done and that the martyrs will finally be avenged. It's good news for those of us who are followers of the Lamb, but it is a warning for those who are not. You are on the wrong side. You're on the losing end of it. But you still have time. Repent. The third angel also brings good news. And as you read through 9, 9 through uh, 11, none of that sounds like good news. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Over and over and over again, if, from the very beginning, God makes it really clear. You have choices. You have a decision to make. And the good news, I think, in the, the message from the third angel is that you have a choice. Now, for those of us who are redeemed, that's really good news. Because the wages of sin is death. And we've all sinned. If there is no choice, then we all just line up for the punishment that we've earned. But we have a choice because the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ. We can turn our face to the Father. We have a choice. We can be saved. So the good news of the third angel is you have a choice. And all through scripture, we see God giving choices. He's saying, he's laying out very, very clearly. Here are the two choices. You can choose blessing or you can choose curses. You can choose life or you can choose death. Three uh, of those kinds of things came to my mind um, just as I was reading through this and considering it. Even last night, I made these notes that it reminds me of Moses. Moses had this moment with the people, and Joshua and Elijah had these moments where they, he called, they called God's people to choose. I'll just choose one of them to read. Joshua 24, verse 15 says, but if, uh, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom will you serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served, uh, the, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If you're taking notes and you want to look up a couple of others, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, Moses is saying, choose 
today who you'll serve. Elijah says it in 1 Kings 18.20, choose today who you will serve. And the third angel is saying the same exact thing, choose who you will serve. Everyone is a disciple. The decision is whose disciple are we? Verse 9 describes the beast, the followers of the beast as having that mark on their forehead and on their hands. And we've talked about what that means. It means that they reflect and they embody the character of the beast. And that mark on their hand is a little different. It means that they do the work actually promoting the, the kingdom apart from God. But here's the important thing, I think, is that The followers of the beast don't just wake up one morning and go, oh, wow, look where I am. I believe that that comes from a life of choices to resist and to live apart from God. Over and over and over, it becomes the mark of their life. I don't care about the Father. I don't care about God. I have an agenda. I want to live life my way. And God is always at work pursuing the hearts of people who are far from him. Even in these very last days, God is pursuing, saying, turn, 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 turn to me. Turn to me. It is not too late. Turn to me. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes from him, says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. The punishment and the wrath that comes is really just God giving us or giving those who refuse to follow him, giving them their way. The day that he stops pursuing them, that's hell. So what, is the good mean, what does the good news mean for followers of the Lamb? I want to hit two more verses here. Verse 12 says that the redeemed need patient endurance. Why? Because in these last days, they will be crushed between two kingdoms, the invading kingdom of God and the, and the system, the kingdom of the world that is holding on and resisting. And we get crushed in the middle. We get crushed in the middle. And so the, the, in verse uh, 12, uh, remember Jesus in the opening messages to the church, what every one of them ended with, hold on. To the overcomers, Jesus made promises. To the overcomers, to those who overcome. And Jesus made promises. And Jesus now again, he is saying in verse 12, he says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commands and remain faithful to Jesus. He's saying, hold on, stand fast. It will not last forever and it ends well for you. 
Hold on. And when the redeemed resist the, the kingdom of the world, when they resist the beast and their influence, when they stand firm and they endure, it may likely end with their death. But Jesus adds a word of encouragement for those followers as well. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, said the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, from their deed, for their deeds will follow them. Everything we do will be seen. Jesus is saying, hold on, hold fast, hold out, overcome. Because no matter what happens in the crush, you will be blessed if you overcome. Even death becomes an opportunity to rest and not be in the crush anymore. Hold on. It is worth it. I am worth it. Resist, even if it leads to your death. I don't have time to talk about these last verses, but I just want to summarize that I believe that it is referring to the final judgment. When the, when the reaping takes place, that it's the, it's the precursor, immediate precursor to the final judgment. And, and, and it's going to come swiftly. I noticed that John doesn't spend very much time at all talking about the reaping. And I think that's because it is going to come. Jesus describes it as, I will come like a thief in the night. It's going to happen fast. And listen now. So the time is now. Don't wait. God's righteousness, God's judgment, God's mercy, God's invitation to life is on display through this whole book. And the call is very, very, very clear. Repent. If you are far from God, if you are living on your own agenda, now's the time. There's no sin that's too big. There's no past that's too messy. There's no habit that's too strong that the blood of the lamb can't take care of. And he wants to, and he's calling you. And Jesus has already done that work of redemption. All you need to do is turn your face to him, confess that you need a savior and that you choose Jesus. And he does the work. If you are a follower of the lamb, I want to encourage you to Evaluate your allegiance. If you have sin that's unrepented, confess it. Jesus has done the work, but lean in close to the Lamb. Lean in close to the Lamb. If you find that there are places where you're cozy with the world's values, then ask Jesus to root it out. It's not a salvation issue. It's a relationship issue. Get close to the lamb. Stand fast. Overcome. Follow the lamb. We're going to sing this morning. And while we're singing um, our song this morning, we're going to share in communion. So our ushers are going to pass the communion emblems this morning. And so I'll just ask that as, the, as it comes down the road to take... Uh, 
take a cracker and take a cup and hold it. And when the song is finished this morning, then we will uh, we'll all take it together. But I want to encourage you while you're while you're getting communion, while you're considering communion, um, I want to encourage you to be thinking, be worshiping the Lamb. If you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, this is a beautiful time to consider that and to make that decision. Every chain 
As we take the cup, we remember his blood that was shed on the cross that covers over all of our sin, enough for all of humanity. And we take and remember his sacrifice for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gospel that you lived out and that you make available to us. Father, I just ask that through your spirit you would continue to pursue us, that we would turn our faces back to you, that we would recognize the full implication of the gospel, that you have done the work and we get to rest in you. And Jesus, those who are far from you, God, there is hope and there is an answer and there is life. Thank you for pursuing. Thank you for pursuing. Thank you for opening the door and making a way. We love you and we worship you with our lives as we follow after you this week. Amen. Thank you, folks.